today on Ag News Daily. A new crop contract is above $4, so if that's a psychological level that means anything to anybody, you know, here's an opportunity to lock in some futures above $4. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, excited to be back on the podcast, joined today by Madison Honkamp. Madison, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Mike. I just got back from spring break. Um, I had my wisdom teeth out, so I actually haven't been on the podcast for about a week either. Perfect. So it's the two of us. What can go wrong with two people who haven't done anything in a while? Exactly. (laughs) Well, it sounds like you had a crappy spring break getting the wisdom teeth out, but we're glad you're back. How have you healed? Pretty well. Um, I had some pain yesterday, but... We, I did my, did all everything that I'm supposed to that the doctors told me, and we're just praying I don't get dry socket. But it, hopefully, we're almost done. Excellent. Well, that is some good news, Madison. And our co-conspirator Delaney Howell is out currently traveling through South Dakota and Nebraska, all along the Missouri River, gathering up some interviews of farmers who have been impacted by that devastating flooding. So hopefully we'll hear from her tomorrow, it sounds like, which will be good. Yes, it will be. Well, let's see. Today, of course, it is Hashtag Market Monday, and we are joined by our good friend, Elaine Cub, a little bit later in the podcast. But to start it off, Madison, what news headlines are you keeping an eye on today? Well, today, one of the kind of bigger headlines um, was that Donald Trump or President Trump um, kind of approved our Iowa's request for federal disaster. And uh, which it's detailed to about $1.6 billion in damage for the flooding across the region along the uh, Missouri River where all the flooding is happening right now. And that's, to kind of section it off, that's about $214 million from just livestock losses. So this is kind of a huge hit for agriculture. Absolutely. I saw a report, I think I saw it on Facebook, was a news story going around of a farmer, a rancher who said his cattle just floated away. Absolutely devastation over there in uh, in Nebraska and South Dakota, you know, parts of Iowa. And it's, of course, headed south through Missouri. And eventually, you know, it'll it'll move even farther south. Yes, exactly. And we can always help those who are affected by it. And I have been putting the links in our description box um, on globalagnetwork.com. So if any listeners are interested in kind of helping out, they can always go to those. Perfect. Listeners, check that out. Agriculture is a very giving community. There are now farmers and ranchers who need our help. Let's not be shy about uh, lending a hand. Um, Absolutely. Yes, definitely. Well, to kind of build on your flooding news, we've got a report here from Archer Daniels, Archer Daniels Midland. ADM has said that their first quarter operating profit is going is expected to drop by between 50 and $60 million thanks to the flooding. Uh, basically, it has slowed rail shipments. It has swamped bins full of old crop uh, corn and soybeans. And it has forced them to idle several of their ethanol plants. So while we're seeing the impacts at the farm level, we're also seeing impacts on Wall Street thanks to this uh, devastation. And it sounds like this flooding ain't done yet. There's still a lot of snowfall up there in North and South Dakota and Minnesota that needs to melt and make its way into the Missouri and the Mississippi rivers. Yes. And I, I even saw a report, I think maybe yesterday, that they're kind of expecting this flood to kind of go through May and not really taper off until then. 
Ugh, boy, that is not what a lot of growers want to hear. Of course, with that river bottom ground, oh, we're going to see some acres lost and some prevent plant, I would assume, if those uh, forecasts turn out to be correct. I know, and we can only hope that they don't, and it just all dries up soon. Right. We just need a, a flash drought to help things dry out a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, Actually, speaking of drought, we are not seeing one here in our part of the world, but over in South Africa, their corn crop is expected to be down 16% because they are experiencing warm and dry conditions, and uh, the drought is expected to take its toll. Although this isn't enough to make South Africa a corn importing country, they will continue to export, but it will be uh, much smaller amounts than it had previously been anticipated. So we'll see what that if that does anything for our markets. Yes, definitely. That's something to watch for us. And even kind of moving on here, Mike, so uh, we have been watching these China trade talks forever, it seems like right now. And they're still going on, still haven't seen a whole lot from them. Um, But a report came out today that um, U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer um, and a few, kind of a group of people are heading over to China on Thursday to have more of those talks keep trying to make that deal go through and hopefully we'll see something you know the having china buying the 300 metric tons of u.s corn um last a couple weeks ago it was kind of a positive sign but still we haven't there really isn't an end in sight so i don't know what are your take what's your take on that Boy, same as everybody else, and and we'll get a lane stake here in just a little bit, but boy, it's still a holding pattern. I was hoping in my absence, maybe some things would get done now that the Mueller report is released. Maybe that would, you know, I don't know, cause China to move a little quicker, but oh boy, it remains to be seen how this is end up finally going to shake out, I suppose, and oh boy, I would just love to have some answers. I was hoping I could come back. Madison, we'd be talking about China stepping into the market in a huge way, and Corn being up 50 cents and everything else carried right along with it. That is is not the case, unfortunately. Yeah, that's really not the case. (laughs) Well, it's interesting. You know, we're talking about uh, China stepping in, buying a little bit of corn, hopefully buying some soybeans as the uh, the year grinds onward. Uh, Corn, as you might remember, Madison, was a hotly discussed topic during the Super Bowl, thanks to the Budweiser ads. Do you remember those? Yes, I do. Well, it was announced uh, yesterday that Miller Coors is now suing Anheuser-Busch over those corn syrup commercials that were played during the Super Bowl. Um, Basically, the lawsuit is saying that Anheuser-Busch is intentionally trying to uh, deceive consumers um, by saying they don't use corn syrup. Uh, They say... That, you know, they don't use high fructose corn syrup, Miller Lite and Coors, but they do use corn syrup. And uh, there's a difference, a molecular difference. I'm not smart enough to know all the details. But it sounds as though that uh, this lawsuit is, is going to at least get in front of a judge. Who knows if anything will actually happen. But uh, the, the corn syrup wars are ongoing. And we'll see if this does anything, uh, if we can get any more positive press for the corn industry out of this thing, or if there's just, you know, more back and forth and and legal rambling. 
Yeah, definitely. I know you always see, you know, the memes and everything on Twitter with that. And especially being in the College of Ag, people are not happy about the those commercials. But that's it, very interesting that it has come to a lawsuit. Yeah, yeah. Basically, they're, uh, they're, it comes down to, to the details between corn syrup and high fructose corn syrup. And we'll probably have to get uh, one of our legal eagles on to explain the difference and whether or not this thing has any merit. Yeah, definitely. What other news do you have for us, Madison? Um, so the last kind of piece of news that I had um, is with Tyson Foods. They are recalling chicken strips again, frozen chicken strips again, uh, after two people reported that they found pieces of metal in their product. And these came from the same um, kind of plant in Arkansas in November. And... I kind of hold Tyson chicken nuggets near and dear to my heart. I absolutely love them. And when I saw that report and cause we've seen other reports like this actually just in this year, yeah. um, they're recalling 69,993 pounds of frozen chicken strips. Wow. I mean, that's quite a bit. I know. I thought that was cr- kind of crazy. Yeah, but, you know, they're always saying that people need to get more iron in their diets. I suppose chunks of metal might just do the trick. (laughs) That might be. Maybe they could sell them as a a supplement of some sort. Yeah, exactly. Instead of going to the pharmacy to get your iron, you can just get it through your Tyson chicken nuggets. Exactly. Just chew (laughs) carefully. You know, it's all you need to do. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, geez, Madison, I tell you what, we've got a full conversation with Elaine. So what do you say? Should we hit the markets and jump into the market Monday? Let's do it, Mike. Well, folks, our markets are brought to us today by our great friends over at the Zaner Group. Remember, you can get in touch with Ted Seifert with any of the analysts over there. Get high-quality market analysis and assistance for all your marketing needs. Your best bet is to visit them on the web. Go to www.zaner.com and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. And we've got green in the grains today to start the week. Starting with corn, the May contract was up one and a half cents at 379 and three quarters, with the December up one and three quarters to finish at 401 and three quarters. In soybeans, the May contract up two and three quarter cents at 906 and a half. November new crop up two and a quarter, closed at 939 and three quarters. Chicago wheat, May up three and a half cents at 469 and a half. The July contract up four and a quarter to close the day at 475 even. Jumping over to the world of livestock, it is a mirror image. We've got red uh, pretty well down the screen in livestock. April live cattle down $2.15 at $127.57. The June contract down $237.50 to close at $121.12 and a half. In feeder cattle, the March contract down $82.5 at $142.17.50. The April down $260 to close at $146.20. In lean hogs, the April contract up a little bit. The only green on the screen up $32.5 at 7865 with the May down 2750 to finish at 8675. Without further ado, let's kick it over to Elaine Cup for a hashtag Market Monday discussion. Well, folks, I'm glad to be back in time for this week's Market Monday. Joining Madison and I on the phone today is Elaine Cub. And Elaine, how you doing today? Well, I'm doing all right. How are you guys doing? I can't complain a bit, Madison. I am doing great. 
Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Now, obviously, I've missed a market Monday or two. I'm a little rusty. I'm a little out of the loop. Elaine, one of the stories I have been following, of course, is the flooding moving its way across the upper Midwest, Nebraska, Missouri, and so forth. Um, Bring us up to speed. How concerned are the markets right now here at the end of March about this early spring flooding? Well, you, you, your question is, we have to, I have to parse it very carefully, the, the words in your question. You said, how concerned is the market, not how concerned are the people who participate in the market, right? There's a lot of concern and anxiety and, and problems related to this flooding, which are, you know, significant, huge problems. And we feel, obviously, our hearts go out to everybody who's dealing with the logistics problems and just the heartbreak of losing grain or losing animals, certainly of losing animals in that flooding. That's all terrible. But you asked, how concerned are the markets? (laughs) And I am, you know, this is this is the frustration of being a market analyst is usually these things happen, right? You get some sort of terrible disaster out in farm country, and the markets don't really respond. And that that is definitely what's happening this week. We have seen like a 10 cent pop in corn futures lately. But I don't think that we can necessarily ascribe that to the flooding problem because simultaneously the dollar has been falling and all kinds of other junk is going on that could explain just a little 10 cent pop. It hasn't changed the overall sideways structure of the corn chart or anything. So that 10 cents is not enough to be a serious reaction to the flooding. Gotcha. Now, now, Elaine, you mentioned the dollar falling. Of course, we'll keep an eye on the flooding, and you're exactly right. Our hearts go out to everybody who's suffering. Delaney is currently heading out to Nebraska to try and uh, have some conversations and shed some light on what all's going on out there. But I want to talk about the dollar that you mentioned before we get into the grain markets. Uh, walk me through what is happening. What have I missed? Why is the dollar dropping? Well, and when I say it dropped, and it has been a fairly volatile drop here in the past two weeks, let's say. Again, that hasn't changed the overall structure of it, but the structure that has changed is the yield curve. You may have seen headlines about an inverted yield curve, and that is related to the fact that the Fed came out with a statement suggesting that they are not going to have interest rate rises at all anymore. They're not intending to in their sort of plan. I mean, that could the plans could change, but their current plan in 2019 is not to be raising interest rates and to just keep interest rates flat. So that takes out one source of bullishness for the dollar, for international investors are less interested in holding the dollar if interest rates won't go up. So that is why the dollar has has fallen a little bit the past couple of weeks. Again, it's not a huge change in the currency markets necessarily, but it would be enough to to explain away, you know, this little bump that we've seen in commodity prices. Well, that makes sense. Now, let's jump into the grains in particular. Elaine, 10 cent pop in the corn futures. We got guys thinking about spring planting. We got folks uh, worried about getting grain out on mud-soaked road, on flooded roads. How aggressive should growers be with moving some of their old crop grain that's still in the bins? Well, they do have some nice opportunities. And this has been a feature throughout this harsh winter is that there have been really strong corn basis levels, corn basis, not soybean basis necessarily, but corn basis levels have been really favorable. So if you have the actual ability to ship the grain and you don't have load limits on your gravel road or whatever, yeah, there are opportunities for you to get out there and and take advantage of some of those good basis opportunities. So for example, you've got the sire ethanol plant in in, uh, Council Bluffs, Iowa which is, you know, 
basically the Omaha area. It's usually not as strong as that Cedar Rapids level in the middle of Iowa, but nevertheless, this Council Bluffs bid today for March corn is six under the May contract, and that is very strong. We do not typically see corn basis levels that strong at this time of year. So it certainly sounds like an opportunity for those growers in those parts where those, that basis is appreciating to go ahead and get some roll down as they are able. Flip side of the coin, Elaine, looking out to December, do we need to be putting any hedges in place already? Yeah, I mean, I have I have been an advocate of that um, throughout this winter because you can project out some profitability with corn at these prices. Uh, the new crop contract is above $4. So if that's a psychological level that means anything to anybody, you know, here's an opportunity to lock in some futures above $4. That's all well and good. But, you know, I've mentioned that the market hasn't really reacted to this flooding. I think the market is waiting for the prospective plantings report to get out of the way this Friday or whenever it is. I think once that's out of the way, if the flooding persists and the wet weather persists and the late planting cold soil persists, which it might not, it might all get cleared up and we might get planting on a relatively you know, normal schedule here in the middle of the Corn Belt. But if it doesn't continue, if we do have a late planting season, then I, I could get kind of bullish. I think there could be better opportunities down the road. So for growers who are thinking in terms of percentages, how, how sold should a grower be? Uh, already this year? You know, I think a good rule of thumb on any given year would be somewhere in the 30% range by April 1st. Um, and this year I've advocated folks be more aggressive than that, you know, maybe upwards of 50% because we're, we are expecting a huge corn crop and expecting prices to dwindle towards harvest. But again, if we have this late planting scenario and if you do get some kind of a weather pop, I would save that aggressiveness for maybe a couple weeks from now, three or four weeks from now. All right, well, let's jump into the soybean market. Elaine, like I say, I've been out of the loop. I've been in, in a hole basically for the past two months. Bring me up to speed. Where do we sit with China? Where do we sit with, uh, with old crop soybeans? Oh, Mike, soybeans have been in the same hole. <laughs> you both have been, nothing has changed. Every whatever, whatever you remember the last time you were thinking about the soybean market, uh, that is still the case. You know, the will they, Dang. won't they? I was it's hoping like, for some big news, some big changes. Sorry, it's like a soap opera. This trade thing is like a soap opera. Like you're constantly will they, won't they, will they, won't they? Oh, they still play that game. That is, st and the, you know, the trade things that aren't really on the headlines anymore. But the the folks behind the scenes are still just kind of plugging away at it, and and there is no expectation of some big grand document that will solve the whole problem. So soybeans are still just bleh. So what do we do about it, Elaine? What do we do about old crop beans? I don't know. And like, you know, you mentioned the flooding that that again is a real problem for the folks who have beans in storage that was flooded because now they're likely to have damaged beans. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's that would be a suggestion for your podcast. You could get, uh, you know, perhaps a grain salvage company or a feed expert who could discuss with you the possibilities of feeding damaged soybeans to livestock because I suspect that is where some of this damaged old crop soybeans from this flooding is going to end up. Now let's let's take our conversation. You mentioned feeding this uh, damaged grain to livestock. Let's talk livestock. What's going on in the cattle markets? What's happening with the beeves? 
Ooh, the beefs are not as exciting as the hogs. Hogs have had a really, really nice run here. I'm looking at June hogs above 95 cents because, again, this Asia, uh, African swine fever. Again, you know, these markets have just, nothing has really changed. You have you have not missed much, Mike. I mean, you've missed a lot in price terms of the hog markets, but you haven't missed much in terms of changing stories. It's all been the same headlines. Uh, cattle have not really followed along to that same degree. Uh, you've got live cattle above 120, so that's just sort of your rule of thumb, and they just kind of bump along there. Uh, the, the logistics of the winter were really challenging on getting feeder cattle moved and so we didn't see very good volume of of cash trade to give any sort of guidance to the futures levels um and so they're bumping along above 140 and yeah life just continues well what's happening on the hog side what's going on over there what's driving that movement it's 100 percent this african swine fever idea and um I, you know, I don't have, I don't have any better insight than the folks that Delaney has had that she's had some good guest experts uh, on the podcast to discuss that in previous episodes. And I highly recommend folks go back and listen to those because that's some of the best coverage I've, I've heard on the African swine fever thing. But the expectation in the U.S. market is that, you know, China will continue to buy pork exports and really help to tighten up the supply of pork that we've had in this industry here domestically that has kept on expanding at, you know, a fairly rapid rate of 3% per year or thereabouts. Absolutely. Now, Elaine, we've completely jumped over and I'm kicking myself. We jumped over the wheat markets. Anything of value worth discussing when we think about the wheat markets? No, <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> except, except actually this was, this was an interesting headline for Ag News Daily last week when China stopped buying canola from Canada. So Canada is obviously wrapped up in the same sort of trade problems or spats or whatever as the United States is with the whole Huawei executive being arrested, blah, 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 blah. I don't have any special details about that. But apparently China is now no longer choosing to buy canola exports from Canada. And China was previously 40% of their canola export market. So now the Canadian canola market resembles very much the United States soybean market. Okay, now that means as the Canadian farmers are going towards their 2019 spring planting, canola is suddenly less favored than usual. And there's a lot of areas up on the Canadian prairie where really you're, you know, kind of two big, big options are canola or wheat, sort of the way that the two big options in a lot of the corn belt is soybeans or corn. So if they're not going to go towards canola, they're probably going to go towards planting wheat. So this whole acreage mix idea that we have playing out here in the United States with U.S. farmers heavily economically favoring corn is playing out in the same way in Canada. Presumably, this is the projection in 2019 towards more spring wheat. So prior to last week and that and that announcement from China, I would have been a little bit bullish about spring wheat just because I don't think it will be planted on the normal schedule here in Minnesota and the eastern Dakotas. But I think if we're going to get a bunch of these huge Canadian acres of spring wheat coming onto the market too, I am suddenly less bullish about the spring wheat market. Oh boy, it's just one thing after another, isn't it? 
Yeah, it is. But, you know, to be fair, the the futures prices on that Minneapolis spring wheat uh, contract have not. They have not suddenly collapsed. They are playing along with the same day-to-day direction as the rest of the markets. All right. Madison, you have been awfully quiet. Do you have any questions for our market guru, Elaine Cub? You know, every question that I have thought of, she's answered with another answer. So I've just been listening and really interested. Soaking all in. That's how it goes with me. You just get me started and I just keep going and going and going, I think. Yeah, Mike would ask a question and then I'd be, oh, that would be a good question. And then she went on and answered it and I was like, all right. (laughs) Well, people like to hear Elaine talk, of course. And Elaine, if people want to get more of your thoughts, if they want to delve in a little bit deeper to market structure and what else going on, you are an author, as we have talked about repeatedly. What's the name of your book and where can people get it? You betcha. It's called Mastering the Grain Markets. You can get it on Amazon or anywhere, you know, online or Kindle books or audio books. If folks like listening to podcasts, you might also enjoy listening to audiobooks. I find myself sort of dabbling back and forth between my podcast feed and my audiobook feed. Yeah, lots of options. Awesome. And you are, of course, on Twitter. Where can folks connect with you there? My handle is at Elaine Cub. Cub is spelled with a K. K-U-B. Folks, check Elaine out. Ask her any questions. She's a fantastic resource. Elaine, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Always a pleasure. Welcome back, Mike. Hey, thanks. And that was Miss Elaine Cub discussing the markets with us today. Uh, Mike, what are your thoughts on that after being gone? You know, I, I like I said before, I was hoping more things would have changed. I was hoping we'd have a little more action and, and activity to discuss. But say uh, la vie, things were not meant to be, and uh, we'll just have to keep plugging away. Growers know that sensation. Just uh, turn the wheel and keep slugging along, I suppose. Exactly. And, Mike, if listeners want to discuss markets even more with us, where can they go? You know, Madison, that's a great question. Their first <laughs> stop should be Twitter. You can find us at Ag News Daily on Twitter, or you can head to the other social media powerhouse, Facebook, and search for Ag News Daily. We're on there. You can also search for our parent network, the Global Ag Network. Search for that in both places. We will turn up, and you can get connected with all sorts of other fantastic podcasts focused around agriculture. Madison, with all that out of the way, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.